Okay, let me see if I can remember this. Okay. Oh, Kellogg's, good morning. The best to you each morning. Let the golden glow of Kellogg's cornflakes start you on your day. Kellogg's cornflakes, Africa's choicest maize, steamed, rolled, then toasted into the crispiest golden flakes, complete with nine vitamins and iron. Oh, Kellogg's, good morning. The best to you each morning. K E L L O double good Kellogg's, best to you. Ding. <laughs> now that is a Kellogg's commercial that played on television when I was in the fifth grade. My family had just moved back from Zimbabwe after living in the Philippines for three years. After being surrounded by the pseudo-American English of the islands for so long, I was totally enchanted by the voices and accents of the motherland. I'd never have guessed then that my fascination for the power and influence of the human voice would lead to this. Hello and welcome to episode 22 of the African Tech Roundup. Get ready to discover the great indoors with DSTV Premium. Well, hello Cape Town. You've been listening to the soothing sounds of Eric Benet's rendition of the timeless classic Georgie Porgy. Hot 91.9 News. Islamic State militants fighting in Iraq and Syria claimed in a video posted online yesterday. We're partnering for a greater South Africa by getting behind small business right here on It's My Biz. Join us for the exciting final episode of Season 4 and make your vote for small business. I'm Andy Limasugu and this is my take on being a great presenter, but even more than that, a purposeful communicator. So my mom told me something recently that I didn't know about myself. Apparently, I stuttered pretty badly as a kid. Up until I was about school-going age, then it sort of just stopped suddenly. If you're a super analytical type, then you may have picked up traces of my childhood speech impediment in the way I express myself, especially in conversation or when I MC a live event, post on radio or ad-lib on television. Perhaps there's something in the way I'm wired that pushes me to try and understand what makes speaking such a powerful gift. And maybe struggling to get words out when I was younger was the perfect catalyst for my curiosity. I let me just hop off the couch real quick. <laughs> Look, by and large, I'd like to think that I have this talking for a living thing down pat. Yes, talking for a living. That's what my wife tells people who ask her what kind of work I do. Apparently, nobody gets broadcaster or entrepreneur. Hashtag whatever. But I'm often humbled at how much there is to learn about how to communicate effectively and impact people with this this gift. Which, by the way, all of us with functional voice boxes are blessed to have and can choose to hone or harness to either build or destroy. I, for one, choose the former. I started out thinking that on this episode, I'd walk you through all the voices and personalities that influence the broadcaster I am today. Mm, Then I figured that one, that'd take forever. And two, it might be more useful and fun to catch up with some contemporary communicators I know and respect. You know, share notes and maybe have them share trade secrets that make them really great at what they do. The hope is that it'll leave you inspired and empowered to be a purposeful communicator. This broadcast comes to you from the voice of Zimbabwe. Quite literally, actually. Here's my homeboy, speaker and author Alex Granger on what got him speaking as a youngster. I think the early influences were in school, um, where I was part of the debate club, part of the public speaking club. And uh, my teacher, I can't remember her name for the life of me, but uh, that's where it That's was polite, Alex. And then growing up in Zim, um, very much the, the biggest influences were, were through the church, where we would have guest speakers, uh, pastors coming from the States and sharing uh, sharing the word and that for me was 
was one of the first early influences in terms of what I do today. Uh, watching these guys deliver a message in a way that are so profound. And, and that had me thinking, this I could do. Right. So fast forward to several years ago, Alex and his family had already been living in South Africa for some time. And Alex was a corporate exec with a cushy job working for a JSE listed company, a job which he quit to take up speaking full time. Now, having delivered keynote presentations to well over 15,000 people in the past year alone, and with his second book set for release in the next few weeks, Alex's decision to leave a successful and lucrative career in corporate to pursue his passion for speaking full time has no doubt paid off. You know, me leaving an executive job was not something that I just woke up one day and said, you know what, this is it, I'm going to do it. It was a lot of prep work that happened over a period of about 10 years. I met a chap called Michael Jackson, the <laughs> other Michael Jackson, uh, a white Michael Jackson, a good friend of mine who's also a professional speaker, probably about 13 years ago. And I was um, a master of ceremony at a function in Johannesburg, and he was one of the speakers. And because I had done such a great job being a master of ceremony, he caught me during the tea break and said, young man, you need to pursue a career in speaking on a full-time basis. And at the time, I wasn't uh, really ready. I was still just a sales manager, nothing executive. And I really wanted to earn my stripes by going through the corporate process and getting a lot of experience. So over the years, I began to develop my craft, develop my art, because the bottom line about speaking is, is a couple of things. Number one, why should people listen to you? You know, what makes you worthy of being listened to? Two, what do you have to share that is not being shared already? Or what spin do you have in a message that will bring about transformation or impact someone's life? And, um, and three, can you get on that stage and can you deliver? Are you going to be inspirational? Are you going to be, do you have that wow factor? And so from the time I met Michael to the time I left, which was about 10 years, I left the corporate world, I was busy working on that and, and developing my craft and, and speaking uh, on the part-time to small audiences for short periods of time. So I do a five-minute talk here, a 10-minute talk there, 20 minutes, like develop like sort of like a TED talk. And then something happened. One day I was booked and the client made the biggest mistake. They paid me. With an international career spanning 15-odd years, Mark The Voice Chase is easily one of the most respected presenters in South Africa. Be it applying himself in news, radio, television, commentary, or voiceovers, there's no denying the incredible talent and skill of The Chase. In 2009, I got back uh, from Holland, and uh, I was living in Amsterdam for two years, and I wanted to go and experience international voiceover work, and that's why I, I had left in 2007. I felt that I, I was leaving at, at the pinnacle of my career at that time in 2007, and when I went to Holland, it, it was quite good, up until the recession hit, and specifically any English work that was available in a country like Holland, which the predominant language is is Dutch, was very hard to come by. So made the decision to come back to South Africa in, in June 2009. Uh, th there's no doubt the World Cup and the interest in South Africa was really good. Uh, my entry into ETV and into the breakfast show Sunrise was made perhaps possible by a particular lady by the name of Debbie Meyer. Debbie Meyer is at ETV now, but I had met Debbie Meyer at the beginning of my career at 702 back in 2001 when she was program manager at 702 in those days. And she gave me my first big break from me fresh out of university 
getting an opportunity because I always wanted to get into media. And uh, she gave me my big break at 702, which if I look at that foundation, that launch pad, that really gave me the um, the ability to continue where I am up until this point today. So it was the very same Debbie that was now at ETV who I phoned late 2009 and said, I'd love to come through. And I always wanted to read news. And it was only perhaps three, four months. And the uh, news anchor at Sunrise uh, decided to to resign and they called me up and now we're sitting in the third quarter of 2015 and I'm still there. More recently though, Marx joined the professional speaking circuit and launched a new seminar designed to help people harness the power of their voice. I always told my wife this and I said, I'm going to be a speaker one day in the future. I never realized what it was going to be now. My speaking was largely sparked by the emails I've received over the last 18 months. Hundreds and hundreds upon hundreds of emails from people all across the country asking, how can I use my voice to become better who I am, to become a better me, to become more successful? And when I looked at those emails, I didn't know how to respond because of my time constraints. I also have a two-year-old uh, and I've, he's very active. I love being a father. So how am I able to provide each individual with the time that they need to improve themselves. And that's why I've started a seminar called Find Your Power Voice. I know what I can do for you and how you can get your message better heard. Here's Mark talking about the greatest influence to his approach as a voiceover artist. Perhaps not many people know this, but Robin Williams was a phenomenal voice artist. And the reason why I would say he would be the one person that I tried to emulate was not in perhaps his ability to act. I'm not really an actor, but he knows how to make words come alive. And it was specifically the uh, Athens Olympics. The late Robin Williams was in fact the official voice of the Sydney 2000 Olympic Games. Strength is measured in pounds. Speed is measured in seconds. Courage? You can't measure courage. The way that Robin Williams was able to take words like fire, if we think of the word fire, most words sound like how they should be spoken. It's not fire. It's fire. Swift. If you're able to really take value in how every word is teaching you a little bit about the context of the sentence, which then provides you reference to the paragraph, and then you see a storyline, and then you have the fable, and you have the tale in how it can now become legendary. And as I'm telling you the story, it's because of what I remember, because it was memorable. And I think that if you want to be a great voice artist, respect word, respect what's there, and you will be able to read it better because you'll have context. It's fun to see how Mark's news bulletins on ETV are in many ways a tribute to Robin Williams' legacy of verbal expression. A lot of the time people talk about how newsreaders should not display any emotion. And this is now we're going to lend into perhaps my second influence in the, in the news reading. And... Uh, the gentleman I'm thinking about, his name is Richard Quest. I was watching Richard and from, from the days when he was still on BBC. He was incredible. He was the first one who was animated in the way he describes word 
in the story, you, you, you can't forget it. it. It was incredible. And then when he went to CNN, he's really shunned. And I, funny enough, got an opportunity to meet with Richard when he was here in South Africa. I've met him twice. For me, it was a bit nerve-wracking because he was coming up for the next interview and I was reading the news. And that was the one moment where, Richard, you're going to have to keep quiet for a few minutes. <laughs> and it was, uh, it was daunting. It's nerve-wracking because you're now r- literally reading in front of the person that drove you to become this. And he was very complimentary. Now, Beth Ann Galvin is an executive presentation coach, trainer, and speaker who, as the founder and MD of Business Communication Skills Holdings, has spent the last 30 years consulting, commentating, and speaking on the correlation between corporate excellence and a commitment to mastering the art of presenting. She's affectionately known as the Presentation Fixer. Now, a blog entitled The Rise of Julius Trump that Beth posted recently caught my eye on LinkedIn. I caught up with her to tell me more about what it is about Donald Trump and South Africa's very own Julius Malema that inspired her to write about them. I just have such a fascination with both of these characters, um, both being political activists in one way or another. And what my fascination is about these two chaps is that they are both really off the wall in terms of what your classical politician would be and come across as. They have a lot of similarities, I find. The one is that they have an arrogance that they are loud and proud about. And also that, you know, they can tend to use insensitive comments at times, uh, be it uh, politically incorrect. And yet somehow they seem to get away with it. And if you look at both of them, even with their bull in a china shop type approach, they both have a big following that seems to be growing and growing, you know, against all odds and certainly to the despair of their opposition. So what would you say to people who heard you say that and went, are you telling me to take notes from these guys? Like, what should we learn? What can we learn from these guys? You know, my philosophy is that we can learn from the good, the bad and the ugly. And definitely, I am not proposing that this is a a common and standard presentation approach that business executives should use, because I think a lot of us would fall flat if we were to adopt their approach. But somehow in their particular arena, it tends to work for them. And, you know, we need to just uh, sit back and have a look at this and say, how do they make this work for them? And how can we adapt it to our environment, not in the same way, but just possibly the take home is how can we adopt an approach that is slightly different and makes us stand out from the rest. But at the same time, obviously, we still want to be in tune with our audience, our targeted audience, and what they ideally would want their take home value to be. Now, with Julius Malema, particularly someone you heard speak live um, some months ago, you identified authenticity and a certain likability that I think a lot of us can emulate. It's very interesting because if I speak socially or if the topic comes up across the dinner table about Julius Malema, you know, people's, you know, get hot under the collar and the temperatures rise in the room. And yet when I was at this particular event, the gathering run by the Maverick a few months back, there were hundreds of people in the audience and it was a very long and stimulating day. And Julius was scheduled as the very, very last speaker of the day at 6 p.m. And in fact, it ran a bit late, so it was later than that. And I didn't believe anybody would actually stay or he would lose most of that audience. But like myself, everybody remained stuck to their 
their seats because, you know, to, to have the opportunity to see the great Malema, you know, live and in action was a, an opportunity I certainly wasn't going to miss. And it appeared that none of the rest of the audience was going to miss it either. And really, he did not let us down. He is an incredibly charismatic individual. You can see why he has his um, target population eating out of his hands. He's actually very funny and he can come across as incredibly authentic. It's very difficult not to love the Malema. The word that sticks out for me there, authenticity. A word that Alex Granger loves. Second only to his habit of honoring God by praying these words. Speak through me, speak in me, and speak for me for your glory. That's my prayer. Alex considers authenticity as his top secret to being a successful speaker. I try to be flawsome. This word was coined by a lady called Linda Rosberg, and, and it's a mixture of two words. So it's being flawed and being awesome. And being flawed means that you, you, you allow yourself to be vulnerable to your audience. So when you're authentic, you know you might make a mistake. You can apologize on stage. You know you made a mistake. But I just find that when you are vulnerable, you become relatable. People begin to be able to engage with you because they say, wow, he's just like us. He can make mistakes. Or he has this kind of weakness. And when you become relatable, people listen more, they engage more, and they believe more because you just like them. They can touch you. They can feel you. You bleed just like them. It must be said that being authentic shouldn't be confused with rocking up for a presentation unprepared and thinking that your talent will carry you through. Here's Beth with some tips that should help you elevate your presentation game. Putting aside, and I think it should be a given, that I would do extensive preparation, even if it's a topic that I have presented on many, many times before. So call it a standard presentation. I would still put days of work into that presentation in terms of considering that audience, tweaking visuals, just finding ways in which I can connect on a human level to that particular audience. So preparation for me is an absolute given. My credo is to prepare until you can't get it wrong. But having said that, I am not a believer of preparing to such a point that every comma and full stop and pause for effect is rehearsed to the T. My particular natural style is to engage on a human level with the audience and to really make a natural connection with the audience. So that would be one of the things that I would certainly do. Another element is on the day, I always prefer to be at the venue at time of registration, even if my presentation is the third or fourth presentation of the schedule. So I like to be there at registration time, mingling with the delegates that will be sitting in that audience. I will always sit through the whole presentation leading up to my my particular time slot to get a feel for the energy in the room, the topics that have been covered, if they contradict or complement my particular topic, and I will draw on that during my presentation if necessary. And just before my presentation, my third tip is to embrace my inner superhero. So like any other business executive out there, of course, I would feel a level of anxiety. And it's really about getting right into the, or, or rather getting into the right headspace. So I take a moment to really breathe deeply, picture my favorite superhero, try and take on that persona and then carry that courage and confidence forward as I open with my opening lines. Is it a bird? Is it a plane? Oh no, it's Beth Galvin. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Well, I wouldn't put it that far, but yes, (laughs) you're on the right track. 
I've so far managed to resist the urge to jump on the hype wagon surrounding President Barack Obama's historic two terms in office. But it's pretty much impossible to deny that he has largely become the global standard for what the 21st century orator should be. Articulate and confident, inspiring while remaining earnest and relatable. Exceedingly well prepared, but equally sharp and witty. This election had many firsts and many stories that will be told for generations, but one that's on my mind tonight is about a woman who cast her ballot in Atlanta. She is a lot like the millions of others who stood in line to make their voice heard in this election, except for one thing. Ann Nixon Cooper is 106 years old. In this, his victory speech made back in 08, Obama's words would ring with a fervor reminiscent of Martin Luther King Jr.'s now legendary declaration, I have a dream. His words would stir a generation of goodwilled people who had not in their wildest dreams thought they'd live to see a black president lead America. He would remind them that, Yes, we can. There's no doubt, America's struggling right now. Heck, the world is struggling right now. But that's precisely why we all need to speak up and let our voices be heard above the sound of sirens and the mourning of the helpless, the groans of the repressed. I'd like you to join me in trampling the insecurities that scare us to silence, in banishing the apathy that leads to indifference, and letting go of the conceit that leads us to take our gift of speech for granted. Your voice matters, and so does how you choose to use it. Taking time to learn to use it well is always time well spent. I reckon old King Solomon was right. Death and life are in the power of the tongue, and they that love it will eat its fruit.